Good morning. The scripture reading is from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. And in the Bibles provided for you, it's page 927. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews and the Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, <coughs> a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and not, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Volta. I would encourage you to go over to the book of 1 Corinthians now. Um, and that's page 952 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Um, my wife... Asked me to apologize for the wrong graphic on the bulletin. So, message delivered. Um, so, um, I didn't even notice, so, you know, didn't even matter to me. But uh, anyway, so we are starting a new, um, new series here. The last series that we did, Elevating Church, which the graphic is on the bulletin apparently, um, that was from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16, and we did four sermons on that, you'll recall, and that set the tone for God's plan for the church, and we want to elevate church to its proper biblical place, and so we spent four sermons talking about that. And what that means is that we receive gifts uh, given by Christ to the church, and, and in that particular text, they're presented as people, not just skills. Uh, we talked about how that we need to be transformed by God's grace. Uh, then also, elevating the church means to, to the, the church is the tool to combat uh, prolonged immaturity 
and uh, spiritual instability. And then last week we talked about how that there's a growth strategy from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 of speaking the truth in love and how that we need to be all in on this together. Okay, so togetherness. And so that was the frame of the importance of the church that is in 2024. We're, we're seeking to recapture that a little bit here. And we said that to ignore or even diminish the value and significance of the church is to simply reject God's plan. And so now we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians. And you see the title is The Messy Church, The Study of 1 Corinthians. And so we're, we're looking at this example because if you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, that there was uh, a lot of things that Paul is dealing with about that church in Corinth, and it's a little messy at times. Um, and so we, we turn to this particular example um, for a few reasons. Number one, misery loves company. Okay, so we look at a church that was going through some difficult things. They say, yeah, well, that's not so bad. You know, the things that we're dealing with, we don't have, at least we're not dealing with that. You know, we're going to look at some issues that this church was dealing with that we're going to be really glad we're not dealing with here. But it still is helpful to us as we think through what does it mean to be a biblical church. Okay, uh, also we see that God, when, by studying 1 Corinthians, we'll see how that God works in and through an imperfect church. And it's really good news for us because we're an imperfect church. And yet we want God to work in and through us. We're going to also look at 1 Corinthians for several months here because um, it's to show that while God, the church is God's gift for us today, it really, really can be messy. And what you should have heard me say there is that it is messy at times. Okay, so these are some of the reasons and then that we should still uh, elevate the church to its proper biblical place, even though it is messy at times. So these are some of the reasons why we, we picked 1 Corinthians that we're going to study. And there's also some very key issues and doctrinal things that Paul is going to have to deal with that I think is going to be helpful to us as we go through this study here. But let me give you some background. I, I asked Volta to read uh, Acts chapter 18 uh, in that section there. Because that is the background to the start of the church in Corinthians and so in Corinth. And so this letter here that we have of 1 Corinthians, that is to a church in Corinth that was established, and we read about that in Acts chapter 18. Just a little side note for you is that if you're if you're reading through some of Paul's uh, letters, it's not true of every one of his letters, but many of the letters, you can actually trace where the, that church started in the book of Acts on his missionary journey. So at Philippi, that's Acts 16. Uh, the letter to Colossae, the Colossians, actually he never visited Colossae, so we don't see that there. But Thessalonians, Thessalonica, I think that's Acts 17. We have Corinth here in Acts 18. And so there are several letters that we have of Paul that we can trace the origin uh, of that church to, to whom he was writing uh, to the book of Acts. So it's just neat how that the, the Lord has given us the, a historical book that gives us the background to us. So let me give you some of the, uh, the background a little bit about uh, Paul in Corinth. Now, just as a reminder, we read about it, or Volta read it to us. Uh, uh, some notes about Paul's stay in Corinth. Uh, Paul stayed there for 18 months. Uh, we read about that in Acts chapter 18, which was not typical of his length of stay. He, he would typically spend shorter amounts of times in his journeys and on his missionary trips in these cities. But in Corinth, he stayed for a little bit longer time uh, for 18 months. It was a mixed bag of, of rejection and acceptance. Uh, we had in, in the first part of Acts 18 how uh, that he was rejected. And then there's some acceptance there of the gospel message. A vision from Jesus appears to 
to a Paul there, which is very significant because it was an encouraging to him. He said, I have many people in this city. Don't worry about it. I have many people in this city. And just shows how God is truly the Lord of hosts and God is in control. And he was, and he was, he was assuring Paul of that. And it was where, it was in Corinth, where Paul met uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, those are going to be ministry partners that is going to be very helpful ministry partners in the future. And, and they came to Corinth uh, just because of some political things that were going on. So they had to leave where they were from. They ended up in Corinth. Paul is, ended, is in Corinth at the same time. And they developed this friendship. And they have the same trade. Uh, you remember what the trade was, class? What was the trade? What did they do? Tent making, okay. They still worked with leather and things like that. So, but tent making, and so that's what they did together. And so that's probably how they met. And so that's a little bit about his stay in Corinth. Just, some, this, just a couple brief notes about the city of Corinth. Again, in this first sermon, we kind of have to do some of this background stuff. So we have these ideas that are going to support our understanding of the text moving forward. Uh, Corinth was a, was a very popular city with many attractions. Uh, people liked being there. There's a lot of natural uh, resources in Corinth. And so it was, a, it was a place where people flocked to. And with that, there were also a lot of negative things. There was uh, many temples to false gods. There was, it was actually known to be a city that was given to vice and sinfulness. It would not be unlike uh, understanding Las Vegas. And we think of Las Vegas today, you think, okay, that's the place kind of where, where people go uh, and to, to, you know, do things that usually are good. And so I uh, kind of think that, not that all of Las Vegas is that way, but it's still the, the reputation it has. Corinth had a similar reputation in that uh, this was a place where people kind of went and there was prosperity there and where there was prosperity often there was uh, promiscuity and, and other things uh, of that nature. And so it's a little bit about Corinth. Um, it seems that it was an intimidating place and a difficult place to minister. And you say, okay, that makes sense of what you just said. But the reason why I say that is in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, you can see it in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 3 it says, and I was with you, and so Paul's saying, he's telling when he was with them, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Uh, so it seems we have this idea of Paul of, of being this brash, bold guy. Nothing can shake him. And while there's times where you know, he is extremely bold for Christ and he endures so much for Christ, here he's sharing that while he was with them in Corinth, there was some fear. And there was, it was, it was, a, it was an anxious time of some sort to him. And, and probably it was because of how difficult the city was. Um, it was just a really difficult city to be in. So some understanding of the city of Corinth. And then uh, let me give you some idea about, uh, and all this is introductory here, about the, the letter here that we have before us, 1 Corinthians here. So we've looked a little bit about the stay in Corinth, a little bit about the city. And now what about this letter here? What, what do we know about this that could help us understand and, and give us a good running start to the study that, that we're embarking on, this multi-month study that we're embarking on here? Well, the first thing you need to understand about 1 Corinthians is that uh, we are actually dropping in in the middle of a conversation. I don't know if you've ever walked into a room and you see two people talking and you hear them say something and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And you're trying to catch up on the conversation real quickly and you, you jump into that. That's what 1 Corinthians is. We're, we're parachuting into a conversation that's already been happening. How do I know that? This is not Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Okay, even though it's called 1 Corinthians, 
It's only called 1 Corinthians because it's the first one we have. But in chapter 5, verse 9, he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. He's reminding them of a letter that he's already written to them. So this is not the first time that he's written to the Corinth, the, the, the church of Corinth. Furthermore, we also see that this is, uh, uh, he has received reports of, in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, okay? So he says, I'm hearing reports of you. So again, we're parachuting into this conversation that's already happened. Paul's received some things. He's already written to them. And then finally, they have apparently written to him. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters of which you have things you wrote, it is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, these are all issues we're going to get into later on. Verse 25 of chapter 7. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. Now concerning this, these are all things that they have written to him about. And so he's responding to the chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, they had written to him and said, what about this food offered to idols? Okay, in chapter 8, then verse 1. Chapter 12, in verse 1, we see this as well. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. Again, this is a topic that, that they have apparently brought up to him, and he's, he's going down the list, and he's bringing these things up, and he's responding to them. And then also in chapter 16, we see this as well. Now concerning the collection of the saints, and concerning our brother Apollos, in verse 12. So while it may not be every one of those, it was definitely a majority of those that these were things that they have written to him, and he is now in this letter responding to them. So when we read 1 Corinthians, again, as we said, we're entering a conversation that has already been happening. Uh, they've written to him. He's already written a previous letter that we don't have. Uh, it just hasn't, hasn't lasted the test of time, uh, hasn't been preserved for us. For, according to God's wisdom, we don't have it, and he must not think we need it. And so we don't have it. And so this is, but it's helpful to understand that as we look at the structure of the book, as we look at the topics that are bringing up, it's like, oh, that's why he's doing it this way. That's why he's addressing these issues is because of this is a conversation that has been happening here. So hopefully that's helpful in understanding the structure and the goals of writing because then having that in the background, having that kind of in the back of our minds, we can understand this is what's going on here. Okay, now if we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 today. That's going to be our text. I'm going to read it here in just a second, and that's where we're going to focus our attention. Uh, next week, we'll look at another section, uh, verses 4 through 9, I believe, is our next section. And uh, that will serve, so it'll be these two sermons that kind of get through the introductory material. It won't be until verse 11 that we kind of get into really the, the, the heart of why he's writing these, uh, the church at Corinth. But the introduction is still important because he's, he's laying a framework. He's given some understanding of, of what they need to have, uh, 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 what they need to know uh, as he's beginning to write this very important letter to them. So let me read verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ. If I were to summarize the point of this introduction, here's what it would be. I would summarize it this way, is that we all have a calling from God. So if I were to summarize it, it would be this. We all have a calling from God. Okay, I think those are some of the, that's a main theme that he's trying to communicate in his introduction. Let me pray, ask God's blessing, and then we'll unpack that. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to spend some little extra time on the front end of this sermon, just kind of laying some background. But Lord, we pray as we dive into this now, we pray that we would uh, have a better understanding of what your word has for us. And I pray that as I have the privilege of, of teaching and preaching here, I, I pray that I would do so led by your spirit and that what I say would be, would be consistent and accurate to the text. Um, thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Please remove distractions from us, and may we, may we benefit from being together uh, around your word for the next few minutes. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So we all have a call from God. I'm going to unpack this in two main points today. First of all, is that we have a very specific call from God. And we see this in the text here, what Paul is talking about, verse 1. He says, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and then he mentions the brother Sosthenes, which I'll, I'll come back to. When I say a very specific call, here's what I mean by that. Is that it's a call to uh, a time, place, and function. Okay? So we all have this call to a time, a place, and a function. For Paul here, we're going to use him as the illustration. Uh, his was that he was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, what is an apostle? Apostle, the word means sent one. We talked about this from uh, uh, our series in Ephesians chapter 4 in the very first sermon, how that there's apostles. God's given apostles to the church. Now, it seems that that the that and we know it to be true that the the apostle was a foundational uh, position for the church. So as the church was being established, God gave apostles for the foundation of the church. We see it in Ephesians chapter two, chapter one, chapter two, and also chapter four. And so this is the function of the apostles that it was the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles. So in one sense, if we're talking about the office, there were twelve of these twelve apostles. Then we have like you know, Paul coming in, uh, which is kind of like the 13th one. And so we have these, these, these foundational apostles that God gave to the church in order for that function of establishing the church for that time and for the place in which they served. Um, we see that that function seems to, have, to, to diminish over time, that as the church is established, as pastors are put in place, because again, remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says he gave to them you know, uh, apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. So as the pastor teachers were put into place of the churches, the need for the foundational work of the apostles seems to go away. And we also see this as how the apostles even refer to their own apostleship. So Paul often, in this, like in this case, he appeals to his apostleship. Now, there's going to be a reason for that, which I'll mention in just a minute. But uh, he appeals to his apostleship and in a very clear way. There's other times when he's writing to places where he doesn't appeal to his apostleship and it's not the purpose of his writing. Uh, and it also seems that there's times where it would diminish over time. So there's a, one of the things about being an apostle 
was uh, in the function of it, the foundational apostle, is that they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Okay, and so they, that was their whole purpose, was to give testimony that Jesus rose from the dead. So we see this in Acts chapter 1, uh, one of the qualifications given that they, they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then they also were people that were given, they were empowered with special abilities that were often used to prove that Jesus was resurrected. So this often came in the signs of, uh, of like healings, uh, sometimes speaking in tongues, uh, things like that, that there was these signs and these, these abilities that were given for that time and for that purpose of proving that Jesus rose from the dead. Because again, the church is being established here. It seems that it appears as we look at the New Testament that as the church grows and as pastors are installed and as churches mature, that the need for the apostles diminish and they go away. Um, one of the things I see with this is, is like Paul, there are times where Paul, he did see the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, his conversion. And so he checks that box. And he also did healings at times too. He would heal people. But then there's times, like we think of uh, when he was writing about Epaphroditus, and he said, uh, we need to pray that, that, he, that he is healed. So why didn't I, my, my thought was, well, Paul, you're the apostle, heal him. Okay. Well, it was because that was not necessary. That sign, that miraculous gift wasn't necessary anymore because the church was being established. Okay, so we see that. We also see in Peter, in his letter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about being a, an apostle. But then in chapter 5, how does he describe himself? He doesn't lean back on his apostleship. He says, I'm a fellow pastor. And so it's almost like that over, as, as time went on, as the church was gaining prominence and, and gaining uh, a strength, the need for apostleship was going away. So there's a very specific call that Paul had for a time, place, and function, and that was being an apostle here. Um, he was sent one. He was one that had the purpose. Uh, he's reminding the Corinthians of this call here because of what he's going to write about later on. We're going to get into in chapter, uh, chapter 1 here, verse 11 and following. That's going to be the first issue that Paul is going to deal with. And uh, does anyone remember what the issue is? So, uh, again, see if you can look ahead and you can see. What was it? It was, you remember? Yeah, who do we follow, right? So divisions in the church, okay? I follow this guy, I follow this guy, I follow this guy. Paul, on the onset, he's saying, I'm an apostle. Now, the reason why is because we have the beginnings of rumblings from the Corinthians of challenging Paul, challenging, does he really know what's right here? This is going to come into real flourishing when he writes to the Galatians where they have totally questioned his apostleship. So it seems that Paul, as time went on, people, as, as they, they, as, as they you know, lived their own lives, they began to wonder about this Paul guy and, and wonder who he was and start to question some of the things that he was teaching. And so he's reminded them here, I'm called by God to be an apostle here. He's reminded us. And then he mentions our brother Sosthenes there in verse 1. Sosthenes is a name that was fairly common during that time. And, um, but uh, it, it seems that, you know, we can't be 100% certain that the Sosthenes that we read about in Acts 18 is the same one. We can't be 100% certain. You say, well, where are you at, Ennis, Jeremy? I'm at 99.9, okay? I'm, I'm pretty certain that this is the same guy here. Um, and the reason for that is because the way he mentions him shows that they, they must have known him. He doesn't have to introduce him. 
He says, you know, in our brother Sosthenes, who's with me, basically. So it appears what's happened, if you go back to Acts 18, I might have you turn there, but if you were to go back there and look at it, you'd see that there was a, a, a ruler in a synagogue uh, who was, um, uh, you know, upset at Paul. And then it appears that there's a conversion. And then uh, people, you know, they, they, they bring this up before the tribunal. And uh, there's a big to-do. And then they actually grab the ruler of the synagogue who has replaced the first one who had the issue against Paul. And this is Sosthenes. And they beat him in front of the tribunal. Now, why would they beat him? Well, partly because he was accepting Paul's message. He was, he was, he was assenting to that, and now he's being, he was being beaten for it. So it makes sense that the Corinthian church would know this guy. They would know who he is. And so what Paul does here is that he's saying, Sosthenes is, is with me on this journey, and, and I'm an apostle here, and I've got a lot to tell you here. We've got a lot of ground to cover here, and I just want you to know, Sosthenes is with me. And there's a way of him saying, and he's agreeing with what I'm saying. You know this guy. He was beat in your presence for following Christ, and he's, uh, he's affirming what I'm about to write you here. So this calling of apostleship that he, Paul leans on, even, even Sosthenes, to kind of help support this call here, and he's reminding of this, um, uh, th- th- this call as apostleship to a, a time, a place, and then the function, of course. And now, uh, as I mentioned before, he doesn't always appeal to his apostleship, but it seems that this was an important piece for this letter to the Corinthians because of the subject matter that's going to come on. So here's what we need to do. The question we've got to ask ourselves, and okay, so for Paul, uh, his, his apostleship, his very specific call to this time, place, and function for that time was to be an apostle, you know, the question we got to ask is, is, what about you? And what about me? What is our time, place, and function that God is calling us to? Um, well, I can tell you that I don't know all the specifics of what God has for your life, but I do know that it includes 2024, Verona, and this church. Okay. You say, well, how do you know that? Okay, well, because you're here in Verona at this church, and it's 2024. Okay. See how, see how smart I am on this, figuring this out? Now, two of those variables can change real quick. 2024 is not going to change pretty quickly. But, you know, being in Verona and being part of this church in some capacity, that could change today. That could change tomorrow. So those variables can change, but there is a sense of, okay, God has assembled this gathering here for this moment, and we're here. And it's not by mistake. It's by design that we're here. So there's a specific call for you to do something and for me to do something with this gathering here today. So we got to think about it in that way uh, that, okay, we're here. What are we supposed to do with this gathering? It's like, well, I mean, I just come to church. I mean, it's Sunday. I get up and go to church. Okay, but you got to think more than that, that God is, is more, he, he's more concerned about it than just, just a habit. So what, 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 is it, what is our purpose here today? Well, we're to encourage one another. We're to sing praises together. We're to come to the table together. We're to, we're to uh, um, you know, maybe settle some accounts with someone. If, if you're holding a, a grudge against someone and you need to get that settled, uh, someone's offended you, you need to talk to them about it. I mean, those are things that are very specific things that God's called us to in his time, place, and function as being a part of the church here. But again, it goes more than that. Some of you are currently, you know, called to be a parent or a grandparent. Uh, some of you are called to be a student right now. That is your, your, your function in this time and place. So that's your specific calling. And so you're, you're, you're to be the best possible student for the glory of God. 
okay? I mean, that's your calling right now. If you're a child, your calling is to be a, a, a godly child. If you're a parent, your calling is to be a godly parent. There's, some of you are called to be employees. You're to be a godly employee. This is the calling for the time and place of where you're at. Now, again, those variables can change. But right now, that's true of you. And so this should be your calling and say, okay, I need to be a godly employee or I need to be a godly student or a godly member of the society or whatever the case may be. And so when we take and say, okay, where has God placed me? This, my job or, or the, the, uh, the social circles that I have, uh, the clubs that I'm a part of, or uh, the relationships that I have, that's a, a very specific calling that is true of you right now. And it's not by mistake that you're there. And again, that could change. But for right now, that's your calling. So Paul, he looks at this very specifically, here's what I am to you right now, and we need to think through that. So why is understanding the specific call in terms of time, place, and function important? Well, here's why. is because if we understand where we're at in life as part of a, a very specific call where God has us, that should produce in us a humble confidence or a holy boldness, okay? You, you, be the student to the glory of God with great confidence and humility, knowing that this is what God has for you. You don't have to wonder, you know, uh, you know do I need to go to school? To, now, some of you are wondering that, and the answer is yes, okay, all right. You know, do I need to do this? Do I need to try on this test? The answer is yes, Okay, but you have confidence that that's the position that God has for you. Some of you are parents, and it's difficult at times, and you get weary in it. But have humble confidence that that's God's calling on your life right now. That's your function. And it's not the only thing, of course, but this should produce a, a humble confidence or a holy boldness to fulfill what God has asked us to do here, knowing that he's called you to do that. You're called to be a spouse if you're married. Be a godly husband to your wife. Be a godly wife to your husband. Not because he or she deserves it primarily, but because this is the calling of God on your life right now. You're called to this time, place, and function. You see, our understanding that, okay, this is a calling on my life here, and so no longer is it about the individuals in front of me or the society that I'm part of. It's about my calling from God above that then I serve in this capacity. Does that make sense? So this is why we have this, this whole, so this, we can live our lives and our calling with confidence. And, and what Paul is doing here, he's not flaunting his apostleship, but he is going to, but what he saw is that this was a responsibility that he needed to fulfill. And so for Paul, being an apostle was a privilege and an obligation. And this is true for us. So whatever God has called you to right now is a privilege and an obligation. Whether it's being an employee you know, working, getting a paycheck. Now, I've said this before, is that you, you're, and again, this does not preclude job changes. You know, again, variables can change here. But for this second, this moment, wherever you're working, that's God's calling on your life. And, and, and use that for the glory of God. And do that with boldness and confidence. Knowing that God has, has placed you there, not by mistake. And if he's placed you there, and I, I know I've said this before, it, this is the beauty of God, that he's, he's given you an opportunity to serve in a very specific location, and he's even paying you to do it. 
You see, do you see when we view it that way as, as opposed to, well, this is what I'm doing to try to build, make a mortgage payment. This is what I'm trying to do to, to survive in this life or to pay down the credit card debt or whatever it is. This is what I'm trying to do here. No, no, no. God has placed you here in this time, place, and function for a very specific reason. So live it out with boldness and confidence, holy boldness and humble confidence. So that's a very specific call. But there's also in this text a very general call. We all have a general call, and the reason why that's important is because the general call informs our specific call. I've alluded to it already in how I've talked about the specific call. But the general call that all of us has, and I mean by general, I mean it's applicable to all of us. Because the specific call, the, the illustrations I was given before, aren't applicable to all of us in here. I mentioned grandparents. I am not called to be a grandparent right now. Okay? Um, just... It's not what God asked for me, right? Because it's, it's just not there. You know, my family is not in that place. So that's not applicable to me. But there is a general call that is applicable to every one of us, regardless of situation. And that general call then is what will inform how we live out the very specific call that we've talked about already here, okay? So let's look at this text here. What, what do I get from this, okay? What is he talking about? What is Paul's emphasis here? What is he mentioning here that is applicable to every one of us that could inform how we live out the very specific call? First of all, is that we need to be part of a local church. That's a general call for every Christian, is that we need to be part of a local church. How do I get that? Look at the text. He says, he's called by the will of God to the apostle Christ Jesus, our brother. Then what does he say here? He says, to the church of God, that is in Corinth, okay? And then he says that these are called to be saints together with all those in every place. And so really we need to be part of this church of God, uh, uh, part of a church of God. And, and in this text, he, he refers to the church of God in a couple of different ways. And the first way is this idea of a local church, the church of God at, that is in Corinth, okay? So there's a local church in Corinth that he's very specifically writing to. So we are the church of God in Verona so to speak. And so there's a local manifestation of the church of God. And we're called to be saints together. So the expectation of God is that believers will be an active part of a local church. He says, if you're a believer, you're going to be part of a church. And so this is a very general call, but that will inform the specific call. How do I know that? Okay, so if we're supposed to be part of a church, and then you're called, some of you are very specifically called to be a, a, a husband or a wife. Okay, let's just use marriage for a second. So if that's a specific call that you have on your life, then being part of a church is God's design to strengthen your marriage and to help you become a godly husband or a godly wife. Let's go to the employer relationship. Maybe, maybe your specific call isn't to be married right now, but, but you have a job, okay? How can being part of a local church encourage you in that and help you fulfill that specific call? Well, because this is where we learn about what it is to be a godly employee. This is where we have relationships with other people and we can talk to them, people who have, who have gone on before us and who have walked this path, and he said, how did you maintain a gospel witness in a very hostile employment uh, world? Or how did you balance life responsibilities, you know, uh, with work and also family? You know, there are people here who have walked that path. The path that you're on right now, and that they've dealt with some of those things. This is what the, what the church is for. The church is so that you can partner up with other people and you can have a conversation. You say, 
you know, Wayne, I, I, you know, you used to work. Um, I, was, I was hoping someone would pick up on that. Little, but, okay, you, you used to work, you know, uh, and now you get all this free time being retired. Um, how did you, you know, can you remember back, you know, when, when you had children at home? And how did you, how did you handle this? I mean, there's been times where I've asked Wayne, hey, when your kids were younger, how did you balance this, right? He's giving me good wisdom and good advice. You know, Rob, you know, Bob, you know. I mean, these are, there's a whole bunch of people, ladies in the congregation, that have walked this path. And God has placed you in a local church together for the reason of helping, helping grow in that Spend time together. So this is a general call for all of us, but don't you see how that being part of the general call will then inform and help you with the very specific call of whatever you're at in life. Okay, so we need to be part of a local church. But there's not only just a local church. He talks about this idea of a universal church. So we should appreciate the universal church. Now what I mean by that is because he says there, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a sense of the church, of where the church is local in the sense that it's manifested here, but then there's a sense of where we are part of a larger body of, of Christians everywhere. Um, and, and now there's, there's very structure for the local church, but the, the larger body of Christ, that we are connected to the larger body of Christ, and we should have an appreciation for that. We should have an appreciation for the saints who have walked on before us and for the people who are connected to us by brother and sister in Christ and all over this world. There should be a sense of we learn from each other here. We learn from the faith of the underground church right now. We learn from the people who, who are, we, we know that our brothers and sisters are, are, uh, are, are worshiping under duress and yet the faith that they have, that should be instructive to us. But we have to know about them. We have to sense that we're connected to them in some way. I, I mentioned being connected to, to people who've gone on before us. That helps us as they've gone through theological warfare. They've gone through things to try to figure things out. And, and you know, church history, we, we see how that they've worked through issues like, is Jesus really God? We don't have to keep having that debate over and over again because that debate's already been had and we can see what they've done, but we've got to be connected to them. This is one of the reasons why church history is important. This is one of the reasons we sing hymns as well as contemporary songs, okay? Contemporary songs are wonderful, and, and I love them, and they're great, but we also want to sing older songs as well because that connects us to our theological forefathers. You know, we mentioned the Mighty Fortresses are God in Sunday school today. I mean, Luther, him, I mean, this thing's hundreds of years old, and yet it's just been a blessing of, of, of theological uh, data and, and encouragement for centuries. We need to be connected to that. We need to have an appreciation for that. Creeds and councils and, and so, again, those are inspired. Don't, don't, they're not on the same level as the Bible. Don't, don't misunderstand me there. But it's helpful to be connected to that to see, okay, what did they go through? Now, we may disagree with some of those things, and I do. I, I look at some of the conclusions, someone like Luther, who is a, who's, a, who's a spiritual hero of mine, but I look at some of the conclusions he's come to, and I say, you know, Marty, his friends call him Marty, you know, Marty, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that you're right here, okay? And so we can have disagreements there, but I can so appreciate what he's done for the body of Christ, okay? And so there's a connection to a local church, so we have to have this understanding. If we're going to be connected, if we're going to fulfill our specific call, we have to be part of a local church with an appreciation for a larger body, knowing that we're not the only church. 
We're not, this is the reason why we pray for other churches. It's not only our church here. There's other churches that want to honor God, and we need to have a connection to that, okay? I need to move on. Well, the reason for let me just mention one quick reason for that is because that combats individualism and isolation and the temptations that come with that. Uh, if, if we don't have an appreciation for the larger body of Christ, we tend to just think very uh, in silos or we, we think individually and want to live in isolation. And, and that leads to no accountability. That leads to falling in, in error that has already been, uh, been uh, put down. And so there's a reason why we need to have an appreciation for the universal church. There's one last thing of that uh, about... Uh, the general call is we need to be part of a local church, have an appreciation for the universal church. But then here's the last one is that we must live holy lives. And we see this here. It says, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Okay, now I'm really leaning on uh, what the word sanctify and saints mean here. It really means set apart or holy. We, same root words here. And so this is what he's talking about here is that we are called to be with every other Christian. We're called to live holy lives, called to be saints together. Um, and uh, uh, like I said, the sanctify is the same root word for holy or holiness. The idea here of sanctify or, is, is to set apart. So it would be like certain vessels, like in the temple, they were set apart for a very specific purpose. And so there's this, they sanctified them in the sense of they were set apart here. But if we understand what this really means, is it's really... Um, it gives us the general term of saints here. And just, that's a general term for all Christians. And there's some, there's some misunderstanding of that. Um, throughout church history, there's been some who think that there's a certain level of sainthood that, that you get to. And, and, you know, if a miracle has to be associated with you and things like that. We don't find that in the Bible at all. We, we just don't. In fact, what we do see in the Bible is this, is that all Christians in a location are called saints. It's because it's not about miracles or things that we've done, or it's not about the levels that we've attained that bring sainthood. It's about what Christ has done for us that makes us saints. And that he saved us from our sins, and so therefore we're set apart, okay? And so we're sanctified and we're set apart. So it's a general term for Christians um, because we are set apart and we're also called to set ourselves apart. So here's the thing to understand about sanctification uh, or this idea of sanctify, um, holiness. One is that there's a separation from something, okay? So there's a separation from something. So we're separated from sin. We're separated from selfishness and self-centeredness. So no longer, Romans chapter 6 talks about this, that no longer are we slaves to sin. So we're set apart from that. It says consider yourselves no longer uh, slaves to sin. And so we have, to, we have to live our lives as if we're not slaves to sin anymore, even though we still have a sin nature. So sanctified or to live a sanctified life isn't to live a sinless life, but it is a life that we're saying we're, we're going to be separated away from something. Okay? But, but that's not it. That's only part of it. It's not just enough to be set apart from something. We have to be set apart to something as well. Okay, so there's two parts to this. Set apart from something, set apart to something. And so we're set apart to God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what we're called to do. This is the general call for all of us is to live holy lives, set apart lives, set apart from sin and set apart to God. This is the general call. And as you do that, don't you see how that will inform how you live out the specific call of being a husband, father, mother, uh, daughter, student, whatever. If we live holy lives, that's going to inform how we do that. So this is why this is so important. And all the issues that Paul is going to deal with, he's setting the table for this. It's a beautiful way that he's doing this. Set apart from, set apart to. Let me give you an illustration as I, as I start to wrap this up. So think about marriage. 
Marriage, in one sense, we are setting ourselves apart from a whole group of people. Okay? So when I chose to get married, I set myself apart from all the other women in this world, for which they were grateful. Okay? All right? But I set myself to someone, Anuk, okay, for which she was ecstatic, okay? All right? So I set myself from something but also to something. It's, it would be bad if I only talked about in the sense of what I'm setting myself from, okay? Both concepts are important. But imagine if someone only thought of and described their marriage as, so what is it like to be married? Well, I can't date anyone anymore. Oh, that's your takeaway. Okay. All right. So you, you can't date anyone anymore. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, because I'm setting myself apart from all this. Okay. While true, that only captures part of what should be true of marriage. It's not just, okay, well, I can't date any of these other women before. I can't date, date, date these people. I can't. I just can't do it anymore. You know, it's, it's almost like, well, do you fully understand this marriage thing here? Because, well, that's true. And it's good that you know that. Um, you, you, there's more to it here right? The spouse should find joy in being devoted to one rather than being separated and avoiding and rejecting others. So there should be a devotion there, a, a set apart too. And that's what holiness is. Sometimes we think of holiness as, well, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do this. I need to do that. I need to avoid doing that. Or I have to do this, 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 and this. And it's like, wait a minute here. No, 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 that, that's not it. It, it. it flows from our set apart, our devotion to Christ, that then we say, I no longer want to do those things anymore. I, I, because my devotion to Christ and his love for me and my love for him, there's no, I, I don't need to get drunk anymore. I don't need to get high anymore. I, I, I don't need pornography anymore. I, I, I don't need all those other relationships anymore. I, I, don't, I don't need, you know, the approval of everyone else because I got Christ it's a devotion to him that causes us to want to be moved away from all those other things. Don't you see? It's so beautiful how God has given to us. Or imagine if someone only thought about marriage in the sense of things to do and not do. Would that be a healthy relationship? No, we choose to do things and avoid others out of devotion to our spouses. And this is what is true of holiness here. So the question is, how are you set apart from sin, selfishness, and self-centeredness, and then, very quickly, how are you set apart to Christ? Because that's the more important one, because as we set ourselves apart to Christ, the setting us apart from sin is much easier because it's out of devotion, not trying to seek his, his approval. So let me conclude this, all right? Let me, let me bring this to a close here as we have gone longer than I anticipated here. But that is probably true most weeks. Um, Here's what we can take away. This is the church of God that is in Verona. Okay? Been here since 1855. Love it. Love being part of this church. So what does that mean? It's the church of God in Verona. He calls the shots. I said this in 2013 when I came. This church is not ever going to be Jeremy's church. It's not. Now, I love serving here. I love the responsibilities that have been given to me and the privilege. But this has got to always be Jesus' church. Always. 
He calls the shots on this. And so what that means is that we function in humble confidence or holy boldness here, knowing that this is God's establishment here. It's been here since 1855. It's our turn to run here. This is our calling of time, place, and purpose here of be the church in Verona here, the church of God in Verona. And we need to make sure that we are a constant lighthouse of the gospel into, into a world where things are changing all the time. We need to stand firm on the word of God and always give the word of God to people and mix the pluralistic culture who is changing all the time, we need to say, no, this is the word of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that you need. And we need to stand firm in our time, place, and purpose here as the church of God in Verona. And you get to be part of it. I get to be part of that. That's so cool. It's such an honor. It's such a privilege that we get to be part of this. Let's embrace that. So that's one takeaway. This is the church of God that is in Verona. He calls the shots. Secondly, Our individual lives and our church as a whole must be guided by the will of God. As we look at elevating church and we look at things we want to do as a church and we look at individual lives, we have to be totally guided by what God's will is for us. Not our own selfish desires, not our own agendas. What does God have for you, your life individually, your family, and then also as a church as a whole? His general will informs his specific will. We fulfill God's will in time, place, and function through a life devoted to Christ or through holiness. And then I'll end with this, is that holiness is a life that flows from relationship with Christ. It's not a list of things to do or to avoid any more than a marriage can be reduced to a list of do's and don'ts. This is a life devoted to Christ. And that is my prayer. That is our prayer. The elder teams, our prayer is for a life that is devoted to Jesus Christ. And our church that is devoted to Jesus Christ. And so holiness is a life that flows from a relationship with Christ. And we could, we could you know, have many conversations about what that looks like. But I think in a general sense, this is sufficient for today.